be a micro influencer. There are many people who are micro influencers who are making lots of money and have loads of brand deals, believe it or not because they may only have a thousand fans, but those are a thousand true fans and they are valuable fans. Welcome to the Full-Time Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Lee, and I'll be sharing industry knowledge and social media tips through weekly interviews with established creators and Q&A sessions. Our goal is to help you decode social media, become a full-time influencer and do what you love for a living. Let's dive in. Hi, creators. Today, we have special guest Onika with us. Onika and I met in New York City, and we are going to chat with her today about her journey and a lot of great tips on how to leverage your expertise uh, to negotiate better brand deals. So thank you so much for being here and welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Tina. Excited to be a part of this. Thank you. Thank you for your time. So first, I guess usually how I start is to ask our guests basically how they got started, because I think it's really good to learn about someone's beginnings, how they got motivated to get on social media, what was the turning point and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Um, where do I begin? So my name is Onika Raymond and I am a television host, travel influencer and writer. And I actually started out working in the field of education. So I hail from Toronto, Canada, um, but my background is in education. I started out as a French teacher, uh, but one of the reasons I got into teaching was because I wanted to live, work and travel overseas. And at the time before digital nomadism was a thing, I had two options. It was either to become a member of the foreign service or to you know, work in, in education and, and teach overseas abroad. So that's what I did because I had a passion for travel. But I moved to New York City in 2016 and I decided that I definitely did not wanna teach in New York City. And by that time, this little travel blog that I had started back in 2006, well, it had kind of evolved into a bit of a travel brand. And influencer marketing really ramped up um, or was ramping up in 2016. So I threw caution to the wind and I said, you know what, I am going to try and blog full time. And eventually that evolved into being an influencer. Uh, and at the same time that, that evolved or transformed into me being an on-camera host. And so I um, currently host for NBC. Um, I hosted for Travel Channel in the past. I had two uh, series with them. And uh, yeah, I appear you know, on TV for a whole host of other networks. Yeah, thanks for giving us such a condensed version. <laughs> it's like a really quick journey of how you got here. Let's backtrack a little bit. So it sounds like before you were even on social media, you were actually like blogging, writing blog posts, the, the traditional way for what yes. is like 10 years? That's oh my a goodness. crazy yeah. long time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I feel like I'm one of the OGs yeah. in the blogging space and the travel blogging space. I almost feel like a dinosaur. Um, and I started a travel blog because I loved writing. I started a travel blog before there was fame involved, um, before there was money involved, most certainly. I just wanted to kind of relay my experiences. Um, it was kind of like an online diary at first where I was writing just to keep in touch with friends and family members. But then I started gaining an audience and I love writing. I have a passion for it. And 
so yeah, I just kind of chronicled my adventures abroad online and it grew into this career that I have today, but I never, ever, ever thought yeah. <laughs> that that would happen. So even before social media and this whole influencer career, were you already sort of making an income from blogging or having like you built a community already? Yeah. So here's the thing. I started my blog, I guess. I mean, I guess I got the domain in 2005. Maybe I only wrote one or two blog posts. Wow. I mean, I was not writing extensively. I didn't get serious about blogging, to be honest with you, until about 2011. But um, it was, I got my first paying job from blogging. It probably would have been in about 2013. And back in the day, you know, we were just kind of selling links online. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it wasn't a lot of money. And I had a full-time job at the time, so it wasn't a big deal to me. But then I also started travel writing for different publications on the side. And again, it wasn't a lot of money. I think at the time I was probably making like $250 for an article. You know, I was yeah. writing for Lonely Planet. I was writing for Condé Nast Traveler. And quite honestly, I was just so honored and excited that they asked me to write for them that I didn't care that the pay was garbage. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I did it, but it wasn't until I really got into the influencer space and I started becoming an on-camera host and spokesperson that I really started seeing financial gain mm -hmm. to the point where I was able to leave my full-time job yeah. where I was making six figures to move into doing this and making six figures and even making more than what I made at my teaching job. Yeah. So basically, you were still teaching when you moved to New York City in 2016, right? And yeah. You had this blog that was going very well, but you decided to start, was it mainly on Instagram back then? It was. And so what I did in 2016, I was actually living overseas in Hong Kong when I moved to New York. And I was kind of at, I guess, a crossroads. I had been teaching at that point for 10 years. And I had held various, you know, managerial and administrative roles. So not only was I a classroom teacher, but I was also a team leader, so a leader of teachers. Uh, and I was at a crossroads. I could become a school principal. I could start going down that road, or I could pursue my passion and my dream, which was to really, in the essence of it all, be a content creator. You know, I knew that I wanted to write. I wanted to be on camera. Uh, I wanted to you know, photograph things and, and share my stories. You know, I wanted to be a storyteller. But at the time, the, the word influencer didn't really exist in the same capacity that it did now. Um, and so, yeah, 2016, I moved to New York City. I actually substitute, I was a, a, a substitute teacher for a couple of months in different schools. And then, you know, I thought, nah, this, this is not for me. Let me move into this thing that you know I was really passionate about. And I was like, I will give myself a year to make it. And if I don't make it in a year, then you know, I can go back to teaching. Yeah. And here I am five years later, still doing it. Wow. So when you quit your teaching job, um, that was in 2016. How many yes. followers did you have at that point on Instagram? You know what? I did not have that many followers on Instagram. Maybe I had about 10,000. That's about the I same really thing. Yeah, I did not have that many followers, um, but I thought, you know, let me just leverage this thing. And Instagram wasn't as important at the time. That's to answer your, your last question. So Instagram wasn't as important 
at that time. So I thought I'm going to try and make it big on YouTube and on Facebook because conversely on Facebook, I probably had about 20,000 followers on my Facebook page. And then on my YouTube, maybe I had like 10,000 followers as well. So those were bigger platforms for me. And those were the platforms um, that were kind of big at the time for everyone. Instagram was still really young. And, uh, and so I primarily was like, I'm going to start making video content. And maybe within that year, maybe I created, I mean, they weren't good at all, but I probably published like a good 30 or so videos on and a couple on of them YouTube. on, on YouTube and on Facebook, I would cross post some of them and don't get me wrong. They weren't really good. Um, a couple of them kind of went like viral which at the time for me would have meant a couple hundred thousand views not like in the millions like right now but um it was it was great because it really allowed me to hone my craft particularly in on camera or on-air hosting um but at the same time instagram was gaining traction so i always kind of posted on instagram i didn't have a strategy but it's probably because i posted then that you know i've had success on Instagram now. Yeah. So would you say the the main reason for the growth is both just consistency showing up, being very specific about your niche, which is like basically traveling, travel hosting, but also inspiring others to, to discover the world through traveling and empowering other women to travel? Yeah, absolutely. I think that being consistent is one of the reasons that I'm here being consistent and also having a voice. Yeah. Because you know what, Tina, there are people, and that's a, a point that I wanted to make. There are people who have many more times followers yes, yes. than I do. You know, I don't have a huge following, but I do have a dedicated following. I think I have an educated following mm -hmm. and I have like a valuable following. Yeah. I think it's really important to think about demographics. Um, when you are trying to obtain brand partnerships. Yeah. Who do you as a creator speak to? And how is that audience perhaps valuable to a particular brand? Yes. No, I don't have a million followers, but the followers that I do have come from a demographic that brands want to reach. Yes, yes. And so that's oftentimes why I end up or I manage to snag bigger brand partnerships. And even beyond the brand partnerships, um, I'm hired to be an ambassador and a spokesperson because of what I represent and because yeah. I have a voice. Yeah. So what would you say that ideal um, follower looks like? Can you, can you paint <laughs> us a picture? How old are they? Or like, where are they from? What are they interested in? I, you know what? There are so many followers and, and there are many demographics that are of interest to brands because there are a million brands on this planet. Yes. There's, you know, there's a saying where we say that there's a pot for every cover. But in terms of my followers, I tend to have, they skew, I guess, more in the, you know, in the 30s range, you know, so women who are college educated, primarily in their 30s, who reside in the United States. Mm -hmm. And across the board, you will find that if you have a following or uh, a demographic of follower that's American, that yes. is very attractive to brands. Yes. So when I look at my analytics, um, you know, probably a good 70, almost 70% of my followers on Instagram uh, reside in the US. Wow. 
That's super high. It's it's really high, right? And I think that's why, you know, when I look at some of the brand partners, the the brand deals that I've done since we're we're talking about this as an influencer yes. uh, podcast, you know, I've worked with a number of automotive um, partners. You know, I've, I've worked with Hyundai, Toyota, Land Rover. Gosh, I'm probably forgetting. I'm probably forgetting a couple. Um, but I've worked with a number of those. I've worked with uh, Amex. I was an ambassador for American Express for quite yes. some time. Um, I'm working with Capital One currently. Um, these are all brands who are very invested in American and North American audiences. Yes. Yeah. And particularly, we, we do want to also say it's like those branches that are in the U.S., they would yes. really value uh, Onika's demographic. Can you give us some any tips that you can share about how to attract the right demographic? I feel like this is a topic that comes up a lot inside my course and inside my little private Facebook group with my students. People are always asking, like, how do they attract, let's say, for example, a U.S. audience? Mm. I think it is so important to be authentic. And it's also important to have something to say. There are millions and millions of people on Instagram, on social media. There are hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, tens of millions of influencers. So how are you going to stand out? And something that I feel really strongly about is having a voice, having a brand identity. What do you stand for? You know, what, what is your niche? What are your verticals? For me, I've always been interested in travel, but beyond that, beyond being a travel influencer, I'm a natural storyteller, number one, but I'm also invested and interested in, in exploration and discovery and education. So learning about different cultures, um, going out there and trying new things and, and having these experiences that you know you can basically have in your own city or your own town. You don't need to get on a plane to explore or to try something new. You don't need to get on a plane to learn something about somebody. And so, you know, because I'm into travel and discovery and because through my platform, I really try to empower, educate and inspire. I think that, you know, I not only have a, a travel brand but also a lifestyle brand as well. Um, and that gives me a lot of opportunities to, to speak to, my audience or my ideal audience member, I feel as though because I'm really authentic with my messaging that I oftentimes attract people who are very much like me, you know, women who are in their thirties, uh, women of color, women who are uh, college educated, women who experience or women who value experience over things. And you don't have to be necessarily a black woman to relate to me. You know, I feel as though when we talk about intersectionality, you know, the fact that I am an immigrant means that I resonate with perhaps somebody like you who also shares uh, a similar background, a similar cultural background. And uh, so I think that's really important when you are trying to attract followers. It's, it's to be really authentic in your brand messaging and open yourself up to these people because people don't, people, people follow people, but they want to follow real and authentic people. The connection that 
you are going to feel to somebody like me is going to be vastly different than the connection you're going to feel with like a Kardashian. Yeah. You know, because there's a barrier there. Whereas I'm more so I'm a real person, you know, I'm my life is more similar to yours than your life is to Kim Kardashian. Yeah. So it's really important to be authentic and to be open and you don't have to share every detail of your life. But when you open yourself up, I think there are a lot of opportunities for followers and your fans to feel as though they vibe with you on certain levels. Yeah. There are certain themes that are going to be resonant or that will resonate with them. For sure. And one thing that you pointed out that I thought was interesting was that you said that this is not just a travel brand. This is also a lifestyle and a personal brand. So the difference really is like if you were just a travel brand, then people are only following you for the places that you go to. And unfortunately, there are a lot of influences with large amounts of like followers and even great engagement. But that's really just what they are, just a travel brand. But when you can really show that authenticity, like Onika said, and bring that to the table and be, you know, pretty raw with people and honest with people, that's when the lifestyle brand starts getting established. That's when people feel the actual connection with you. And even if you're at home and you're talking about your own stuff or your own life or your partner, whatever it is you want to share they will buy it. They will enjoy your content no matter where you are, even if it's like a shitty location or like a not so interesting travel. Absolutely. I mean, when we were in the thick of the pandemic, I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. So not only was I not going anywhere, but I was also very new to motherhood. I had my daughter at the beginning of January in 2020. And so I was at home and I didn't really have, I didn't have travel destinations. I was there, I was burping a baby, <laughs> you know, it was, but I found, I found kind of a new niche, you know, this niche of, of being a new mom and, and just trying to, to figure things out as yeah. I went along. And I found that a lot of people that, that resonated with them, even the discussion of, of having a baby, I was very uh, transparent about my initial ambivalence about having a child. Yeah. I didn't know if that was something if it was a path that I wanted to go down. I didn't know if it was something for me. Yeah. And the outpouring and the support and the number of people who either commented on my posts or DM'd me to say that, oh my goodness, that resonated with them because that was something that they had experienced or they were experiencing or something that they were going through as well. I mean, it just blew me away. Yeah. At the end of the day, what you have to realize is that it's a community. And I think that when you take care of your community, when you can be of service to them, when you can be a friend to them, when you can be a positive influence on them, that is when you have attained success. No matter how many followers you have, you can be a micro influencer. There are many people who are micro influencers who are making lots of money and have loads of brand deals, believe it or not because they may only have a thousand fans, but those are a thousand true fans and they are valuable fans. Yes, a hundred percent. I think that's such a great point because often nowadays we can get really caught up with the numbers, especially with new platforms like TikTok where people are experiencing explosive growth. And so everyone's experiencing a little bit of FOMO, like, oh my God, I'm not growing like hundreds of thousands every month or every, you know, half a year. And so you somehow feel inadequate or you feel like you're not as influential, but really it's about how much you actually influence the people you are reaching versus 
how many people you are reaching. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've said this a number of times, but I got my first five-figure brand deal when I had fewer than, I think it was 10,000 followers. No way. Um, Toyota reached out to me, the car brand reached yeah. out to me to be part of a campaign that they were doing. Wow. Um, and that was, that was a five-figure brand deal. Yeah. And I did not have that many followers, but they wanted to reach the followers that I did have. Yeah, and yeah. so never underestimate yes, the power of your voice. So powerful. It's really important. Really important. Are you enjoying the Full-Time Influencer Podcast so far? If so, then we'd love for you to share this episode with someone who will benefit from it or share this episode to your Instagram stories. Our mission is to help aspiring creators around the world. And with your help, we get one step closer with every share. Thank you so much. And now back to the show. So then can you tell us a bit, like, was there a turning point in your career, in your influencer career after you started Instagram in particular, where you were like, wow, like my life has really changed and this is really going in the direction that I want? Yeah, definitely. I would say that it was at the beginning of year two of being in the influencer space. So that would put us at around, I guess, 2017, 2017-ish, because I had started really seriously, uh, to mid 2016. Mm. And so I had said that I was going to give myself a year to make it. And essentially for me, making it was, you know, making enough money to, to support myself. You know, I didn't have lofty goals. I wasn't trying yeah. to make, you know, a million dollars in my first year, but I just wanted to be able to, to support myself and not have to dig into my savings. And Within six months, I had my first paying TV job. It didn't pay very well, <laughs> but I was a, a travel expert on a Canadian uh, morning show. And then, so within six months, I had that. And then within seven months, um, I started, like I had signed a contract with Travel Channel. So I started hosting for them. And so at the end of, of my first year of doing this, I was like, wait a minute, th this is insane. And after that, I think after I signed my contract with Travel Channel, things just started, you know, snowballing exponentially. Yeah, things really started snowballing yeah. for me. And I think as well for my friends and family members who were really skeptical in the beginning, I have to say that my husband has always been very supportive. He was the one who was like, you don't love teaching anymore, so you should do what you love. That's amazing. Yeah, but for friends and family members who were skeptical, when they started seeing the partnerships that I was snagging, when they started realizing that, you know, they started seeing me on television, they were like, okay, well, this is actually legit. Yeah. Isn't that always the case? Like they got to see the checks coming in. They got it. <laughs> or they got to see like that public recognition before they recognize this as something real and tangible. Of course. That's, that's just the way we are in life, right? We, we need to see these tangible universal markers of success in order to realize or to think that we or somebody else is successful yeah, yeah um do we do ourselves a disservice by doing that absolutely because so many of us quit before we end up really starting correct because correct. we don't see those milestones right away and we don't recognize the value of of the work we're putting in or we don't give it the opportunity to actually lead somewhere mm -hmm. um but you know for myself you know i gave myself a year yeah. And chances are, if I hadn't have gotten hired by Travel Channel, 
I probably would have given, I probably would have given up, you know, if I didn't get X amount of brand deals, if I didn't get hired by Travel Channel, if I wasn't, you know, a regular person on, if I wasn't making regular appearances on television, I probably would have given up after, after that first year. And I think we do ourselves a disservice by not giving ourselves time to flourish and grow. When you plant those seeds, they will grow if you water them properly. But if you don't give yourself time, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) It takes time, you know, and you have to be consistent. And so I have a lot of people who reach out to me and they say, Onika, how can I be on TV? Yeah. Onika, how can I grow a following online? They're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. They're not seeing all of the levels and the layers and the blood and sweat and the tears. They're not seeing the nights that I stayed up to blog when I, you know, in 2011, when I had a teaching job. Yeah. You know, that is why I get the gigs I do now, because I have a portfolio and a pedigree. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I think one of the things that we I see a lot is that people kind of expect that once they put themselves out there, they should see some kind of return. Yeah. But we kind of forget that for most careers, you spend what four years going to college and then applying yourself to a job, and then you spend years to climb that ladder. But for social media, somehow you expect results within a few months, which is exactly. not a really fair comparison. Yeah. Um, if you're considering that this is going to be a, a viable career, that's actually going to bring you a, a lot of revenue. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's highly unrealistic to believe that. And th- they think that maybe they can buy the course and they're going to be wildly successful. And it's kind of like, well, it gives you the tools and the information, but it is up to you to apply yourself and to make that information work for you. There's no one size fits all. Yes, exactly. That's, that's actually a very important point with social media. I think people really want to know like a generic way to grow. But the thing is, there is no one specific way that works for most people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to acquire the tools to help you save a ton of time and effort and save a a lot of heartache and mistakes. But the effort still needs to be put in for there Mm -hmm. to be any kind of result. Or like you said, like the seeds need to be planted and watered. I do have a question. Do you remember when like around what follower count it was when you started doing Travel Channel? Yeah. I was still under 15,000 followers Wow! when I signed a contract with Travel Channel in, I guess it would have been May of 2017. Wow. That's amazing. So believe it or not, they found me on YouTube because what people don't, or what people tend to forget is that YouTube is like the number two search engine behind Google. So videos that I had posted Gosh, even in 2012, grainy quality, terrible videos, horrible editing. Travel Channel stumbled on those videos. And even though the editing was poor, they really liked the person who was appearing in those videos. Yeah. You know, they, they liked my personality. And so again, it's, it's really important to put yourself out there, to establish yourself, to, to, to have a resonant voice, to be honest. Uh, and also to have a portfolio and a body of work yeah. that people are able to find. So not only do you need to put yourself out there, but you need to put your stuff out there in a way that it can be found. And follower counts are not are not everything. It's very easy to purchase followers, as yeah. a matter of fact. So that's that's not yeah, everything for sure. So now that we have gone over 
you know, a lot of your journey, I would love to talk a little bit about where you're at now. Like, do you mostly do a lot of TV hosting jobs or is it a big chunk of your influencer work and brand deals and so on that you're mostly working with? Yeah. So, you know what, I have to say it's probably, you know, a 60, 40 split. I mean, I do a ton of influencer stuff. That's a 60. I almost feel as though, yeah, I think that's probably the 60. I mean, a lot of the TV stuff that I do, what happens is that it's, it's often shot in bulk. Oh, I see. So what happens is you'll, you'll shoot a bunch of content and then it's like distributed or dispersed, um, over a certain period of time. So for example, uh, one of my segments came on New York Live today. I shot it maybe about a month ago in New York City. And so oftentimes when you're doing on air work, just because unless it's live, of course, uh, what usually happens is that it's shot and then it produced, you know, it's edited, all these other things happen to it before it is put out on whatever network, whether that's broadcast or digital. So it, it takes time. Um, and it's often batch filmed or as much as possible. Yeah. But the influencer stuff (laughs) is actually really crazy for me right now. And I have to say that it's a blessing to have so much work, but it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky now that I have a manager who (laughs) is able to assist me so much, which means that I can actually do more than ever before, which is why I feel as though I'm in like this season of like being really busy. Um, a lot of that is due to my manager because she's the one who's hopping on phone calls with clients. She's the one doing the contract negotiations. Uh, you know, she's doing all of that administrate administrative stuff so that I can focus on the creative. So I think that especially after a year of pandemic, where a lot of things were uncertain for, for brands and, and consumers as well. Now, if you're an influencer, <laughs> or at least on my end, I mean, I, I'm experiencing like my inbox yeah, is full yeah. every day. There's For so sure. many things that sometimes it's hard to, it, it's overwhelming, but I guess it's a good problem to have. It is. It is. I do find that there has been a big comeback since the reopening, slight reopening, not full, but yes. we can already feel it in the digital marketing space. Let's talk a little bit about your manager. Um, how yeah. did you find her or how did she find you? So it's so funny. Um, Basically, I have a friend who is a very big influencer. um, And I was talking to her one day. And, you know, just it was the same old thing, like, oh, my goodness, I'm I'm struggling with all my stuff. Oh, my gosh, you know, I have all these assignments due. And, and uh, she said, actually, you know what, my my manager, she's a huge fan of yours. And she's wanted to approach you for some time. Uh, would you be interested in being connected with her? Like, you know, how do you feel about that? And I said, well, to be honest with you, a couple of managers had approached me in the past and I wasn't too keen on it. I wasn't, I wasn't really feeling it after having discussed with them. But uh, my friend kind of sang her manager's praises and uh, put me in touch and the rest is history. And so we've been working together for about a year now and I think that my managers really helped me to <laughs> get organized, yeah. number one, um, and has just allowed me to focus on the creative. I think in a lot of situations, uh, 
people are like, how do I get a manager? How do I get a manager? The truth is that they oftentimes they, they find you. You don't yes. find them. <laughs> they yeah. usually reach out to people. And I think the other misnomer or, or the other misconception is that managers are going to bring you a lot of work. Yes, that was my next question. Yeah, the, the truth is, is that they help you manage your imbalance uh, so that you're actually able to do more work or be more productive and efficient. Yeah. So so the, so basically you have to have something, you know, the manager's not going to get with you. The manager's not incentivized to run out and, and or to be with you or to partner with you if you're not getting a lot of work on your own. Yes, you need yes. to be somebody who is already, you know, attractive to different brands and, and partners and sponsors and whatnot. A manager is not going to be incentivized to work with somebody who isn't doing that. So a lot of people are like, well, how do I get a manager? Why hasn't anybody approached me? That's more of an internal questioning. You know, you have to kind of look within yourself and think, okay, well, ha why hasn't anybody reached out for me, to me? Um, what sets me apart? Um, why would a prospective manager want to work with me? So those yeah. are all important questions to ask. Yeah. Do you mind sharing uh, the percentage share? Is it 20% or 15? Oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, so it's it's actually 20%. So that was another reason why I was kind of like, oh, I want to keep all my money. No wonder she's doing so much for you. Yeah, but honestly, like, first of all, luckily, my manager is not exclusive. So I actually don't have to. I, oh. I'm not under any exclusive agreement. I don't have to give her anything. Yeah, it's, it's up to me. But to be honest with you, Tina, she is such a wonderful asset <laughs> to my business that I just forward her everything. And I have to say, I get so many things in my inbox prior to her. I would get so many things in my inbox that I just wouldn't answer I would or I would delete if I didn't recognize the, if I didn't recognize the agency reaching out, if the email looked kind of funny. But now I send everything over to her and it's funny, I was saying this to a friend the other day, something, you know, an, an email that I would have deleted last year, I've forwarded a similar email to my manager and that's turned into like a five-figure brand deal. Wow. So when I think about the money that I that was letting lost slip on. through my fingers, <laughs> it almost drives me oh insane, but I have to look, I have to just look forward. Look forward. So <laughs> I, I can't think about that. But that's why it's so imperative to build a team. And one of the things that she says that's resonated with me is stop being an empire of one. Mm. I am a type A person. I like to be in control of my orbit. I'm also a Virgo. I overthink yeah. things, you know, but you need to relinquish and you need to delegate in order to grow. Yeah. And my manager, you know, that's basically the only person I work with. You know, we've had discussions. I'm, I need an assistant, but like, it's very difficult for me to let go. But Tina, when I tell you that now that I have this person who is on my team, who is on my side, who is incentivized to get me the best deals possible, I am able to take on so much more work. And I think that this year will be my most profitable yet, even though I'm giving her a 20% cut everything that I take in. Wow. Think about it. I'm giving her a fifth yeah. of everything. And I will still probably make more this year than I have the previous four years. Wow. That's so amazing. It's something to think about. Yeah. Yes. 
Great, great, great point there. You know, if you're not, you're being overwhelmed by requests, that is a good time, a good sign that you definitely need a manager. Although,、Absolutely. until you do have a steady stream of、uh, incoming requests, it's probably not the best time to get a manager just yet because you are giving away your profits. But the thing、yeah. is, when you do give away the profit, you also allow yourself to focus on what you're really good at, and therefore you are actually increase your overall profit. Profits, even、exactly. after you give away parts of it,、um, that's something that's really important to know and recognize in order to ex- continually、yeah. expand. In order to grow, you need you need help、mm-hmm. in some、that's、capacity.、True. Yeah, you need support and you need help. So stop being an empire of one.、Um, businesses that are run by a sole proprietor that <laughs> they're not going to be as successful as. Businesses that have multiple partners, you know,、That's、two heads、true. are better than one. You you need that support, and you know, in my case, I'm able to focus on the creative. I hate the admin. You know, there、yeah. are assignments that, like, from over a year ago, that I still haven't gotten paid for because I haven't filed the invoice for them because that was before I had my manager who runs after money. Oh my god, I've done that. I don't、before. have time for that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have time for that. So I've probably lost on out on a few thousand just because I'm like too lazy to follow. Exactly. Up, I'll be honest. Exactly. But this is from like a long time ago. Yeah. I I do want to talk a little bit about the the money aspect of being an yeah, influencer. Yeah, sure. I know you said like this year is pro- likely going to be your best year yet. Would you say this is a far better opportunity being an influencer than what you were doing before, which was teaching? Oh. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I make way more money as an influencer. Yeah, way more money as an influencer.、Um, I was, you know, keep in mind, I was working as a teacher administrator. You know, I、yeah. worked for ten years、um, in the private education, private international education、uh, field,、um, and so I was making six figures. You know, yeah,、uh, as an influencer. I am making six figures as well. <laughs> multiple,、uh, yeah, multiple, yeah, multiple six figures, yeah, yeah. And it's it's amazing when you think about you know what what kills me is for as much flack as influencers get, it's it just it's mind boggling to me still that somebody who's gone to school to be a doctor or a corporate lawyer or some sort of white collar. Profession. It's mind-boggling to me still that as an influencer, you can make more than these people. Yeah, yeah. And the sky is really the limit. Yeah. You have the opportunity if you have the capacity to take on work as a as a freelancer, as somebody who works for many different brands, many different companies. You know, those ten ninety nines they suck <laughs> at the end of the year as a freelancer, but you have. The opportunity to make multiple six figures, seven figures as an influencer, and somebody like me who has, you know, a combined following of two hundred thousand, you know, across my platforms, I think about what somebody who has a million followers must be making, and it just, it just blows my mind.、Uh, so, indeed, this is a very lucrative industry if you play your cards right.、Yeah. Will everybody make six figures being an influencer? Absolutely not, but. If you have those ingredients we talked about before, you, know, you put in the hard work, you put in the consistency. If you have something to say, 
that resonates with your audience. And if you can leverage that to work with brands uh, in a way that benefits you, then yes, you can easily clear six figures. You can easily clear multiple six figures, quarter of a million, half a million a year. There are a lot of people doing it. It's true. At the time of this recording, um, I just want to like point this out because I think this is a such a great point to talk about. Onika has about a hundred and and ten thousand followers on Instagram. Would you say like most of your opportunities are reaching out to you because of Instagram? Yeah, I would say that. I would absolutely say that. However. I do feel as though I am able to leverage those deals and make more money, make those deals more lucrative because I have other platforms. Right. So not only do I have, you know, a robust Instagram, but I also have a blog that I own. I also have um, a Facebook page that I can leverage. I have a YouTube channel. Um, I have a Twitter, even though I don't really use it. (laughs) And so those are additional opportunities to increase uh, my earnings. So if somebody approaches me and they say, oh, well, you know, we have a million (laughs) dollars budget for this particular campaign, you know, for this Instagram campaign, then I could say, okay, well, I'll give you a YouTube video for an additional half million, for example. Yeah. Um, and so that's an opportunity, you know, even to, to bring us down to earth. <laughs> yeah. If I have somebody approaching me, you know, and be a little bit more realistic, if I have somebody approaching me with, say, you know, a $5,000 Instagram campaign, they want me to post one picture and one Instagram story or something like that, of like three frames or something, I can increase that really quickly to $10,000 by yeah. saying, okay, well, can we tag something else on? You know, can I give you a blog post? Can I give you a Facebook? Can I give, you know, can we do these add-ons? Because I don't want to work with you for four figures. I would prefer to increase this deal to five figures. If I'm going to work with you, I'm going to give you exclusivity. If you're going to be able to, like, if my name and face is going to be connected with your brand, it needs to be worthwhile for me. Correct. Yeah. I'm going to introduce you to my audience. Yeah. So then you... Oh, I guess, would you say the numbers that you just kind of listed are somewhat the range of what's what you're being approached with right now or what you're able to negotiate? Yeah, for, I mean, an Instagram campaign, typically, you know, when I work with somebody these days, uh, I'm not trying to work for them for anything less than five figures. Yeah. Just because, you know, first of all, content creation takes time. I'm introducing you to my audience. That in itself has a lot of weight. That's, and that's all, that's a lot of potential. So I have to instill trust in, in my audience. My audience trusts me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for you to have access to that is, is really important. You have access to my audience. You have access to my expertise. You have access to my reputation. Um, all of these things manifest themselves in, in my fee. Uh, and so I typically, I don't do one-offs. I, I really try not to do run one-offs. And what's great is that oftentimes your reputation will precede you. So when you work with one agency, you know, one agency may have like 12 or 15 different brands that you could mm-hmm. potentially work with under their agency umbrella. You know, yes. they have those brands on their Rolodex. So if they like you and if you do well, 
with a campaign for one particular client of theirs, then chances are they're going to re reach out to you for repeat business with either that same client or a different client. So I have certain agencies that I've worked with a number of times, you know, Ketchum, for instance, I've worked with them a number of times for a number of different campaigns. They reach out to me because they like the quality of my work. They know they can trust me. They know that, you know, they're going to get um, some decent reach. Um, they know that, you know, their client is going to be happy with that. And so I think it's, it's really important um, to do a good job. Yeah. So yes, I, I definitely think that that's such a great point in terms of like increasing your reach with additional deliverables. If someone yeah. is looking to start uh, an additional platform in addition to Instagram, what would you recommend the most in terms of uh, possibilities later down the line? Mm. So this is really interesting. Um, I think that as a creator, it's really important to have a platform that you own. Yeah. Because with these social media platforms, you're really at the mercy of whoever owns them. You do not own these properties. You are allowed to post on them. But as we've seen with, what's that that one? Vine. Oh, Vine. Yeah, See, Vine. I even forgot what the name was, yeah, right? Yeah. So you had all these creators who were going viral on Vine and then Vine basically disappeared, disappeared yeah, and then right. their content disappeared as well. Yeah. So, I mean, Instagram for sure is is great. It's a, it's, it's a great um you know financially it's very lucrative but i always advise for influencers to have and own their own platform so i think you should always have a website even if it's just a landing page yeah you need to have a website yeah and you need to back up all of your content if that's important to you if it's not important to you then don't back that but i think mm -hmm. you should at least have a landing page um if you are somebody who is an influencer like a travel or lifestyle influencer um, it's really helpful to have that blog because again you can offer that up as another you know content point so that you know you can increase your earnings and you can yeah. be of more value to a potential client um however according to my manager who manages a couple of big youtubers mm -hmm. in the lifestyle and beauty space my manager says that you should have a YouTube. Okay. Um, my manager says that it's actually really lucrative because the brand deals are actually um, quite a bit bigger I see. than Instagram. Yes. And I guess to an extent it, it makes sense. I mean, YouTube is longer form content. It's way more easily searchable. It's not subject to algorithms in the same way that, um, that Instagram is. Yes. So I know that for myself, that is something that I'm looking towards um is really you know getting back onto youtube and producing uh some content yeah. on there but uh, i would definitely say that if you had to be you know if we're, if we're really talking you know business-wise strategically you should have your own website you should have some sort of blog you know blog content lives on in a way that um, social content will not mm -hmm. and then you should also have a YouTube just because of the, not, not only because of the, um, the opportunities uh, for sponsored posts and brands and sponsorships and, and all of that, but also because you can make, you can make passive income on there. And the same goes for blogs as well. You, know, you yeah. can put display advertising on there. So if SEO is your thing, you can leverage that and not only get paid to create the content, but get paid passively after the content is already made and living on your blog or on your YouTube channel. Yeah. 
So to sort of wrap this sort of paid campaign part up, I'm really curious to know if you ever get approached with people and they try to lowball you or your manager, um, what is your response to that? Because I know it's very important to value your work and your time and to also package it with other deliverables. But when the person coming just doesn't seem to value that, how do you respond to that? You know what? I think it's, it's really important to not respond emotionally. Uh, it's a business. So obviously, if you're working with any partner, any brand partner, any sponsor, they're trying to pay you the least amount they can. It's yeah. just it's purely a business decision. And a lot of brands are going to value you based, you know, the, the first metric they're going to look at is your follower count. Yeah. And the second one they're going to look at is your engagement rate. Um, and so you can't you can't take it personally. I mean, mm -hmm. just as we were talking here, I got an email from an agency, you know, they had me sign an NDA yesterday because they were talking about their electronics client. And then they just came back with this really low ball offer. That's not even a fifth of what I would usually charge. Yeah. Um, and so we just, we just keep it moving. I mean, yeah. if they don't see the value, if they don't have the budget, then they don't have the budget. I think it's important as a creator to recognize that this is a business and not every deal is going to work out. Yes. Um, and don't accept low offers because A, you'll probably resent it. You feel you as though your work is being devalued. That's true. And B, it keeps you tied up so that like you don't have the energy or the bandwidth to work on a bigger, better project. Yeah. <laughs> Especially absolutely. if there's exclusivity. There's nothing worse than signing on or signing a contract for a rate that you don't necessarily agree with or like. And then being tied up in an exclusivity clause and then having a bigger, better project that is more in alignment with your brand and your following 100%. that you now can't do because you're locked up in an agreement yes. with this other thing that wasn't ideal. So yes. it's, it's a constant balance and life comes at you fast as an influencer. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know, true. It really, it really does. That's really true. Does. You never know, you know, if you agree to this like six months exclusivity where you'll actually be at six months. Oh my God, never do six, so never do six months. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't do longer than two weeks if you can, if you can yeah, see it. Yeah. Yeah. I usually say like not, not longer than like a couple months. It's at the max. Yeah. Um, and then they have to pay for exclusivity. For sure. But that's, that's a whole definitely. other conversation. Oh my goodness. Exactly. <laughs> So you have already shared so much with us. There's lots of valuable information, but particularly about finding your authentic voice, which I think is probably the most valuable thing you can walk away with because that's what you have found and you have able to really use that to build it into what your career is now. So I just think it's so amazing. I'm, I'm always amazed when you share with me your progress and what you're doing right now. So can you tell us what we can expect to, from you from here, where we can Ooh. find you and like what is in the near future plans? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on the gram. That's, uh, that's the uh, platform that I update the most, the most frequently. And you can find me at Onika Traveler and that's Traveler with two L's on Instagram. Uh, and gosh, what is next for me? Woo, uh, a lot more, a lot more on air a lot more video, expect to see me coming to your screens. Um, I might be coming to you in book form as Ooh, well. But that's exciting. It's a secret. Um, stay tuned, stay tuned for that. Uh, lots of travels now that the world is opening 
back up again. Uh, and yeah, I just, you know, I want to continue educating, inspiring and empowering people like you and me to go out there and travel and to live their best lives and to keep on learning and loving and experiencing. That's amazing. All right. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to the Full-Time Influencer Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who could benefit from it. And I'll see you in the next one.